welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good night, happy new year. Happy new happy year. New year. This is Jacob Machado. Merry Christmas. And, uh, and Father Mike, Mike here. Yeah. Um, we Welcome are to recording, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We are recording on New Year's Day morning. Yeah, welcome. So, uh, happy New Year to all. Happy New Year's, Father Mike. How are you doing? Well, pretty good. I, When I was in high school, there was this uh, Y2K thing. Do you remember I Y2K? Rem- I love that you asked that because I was hanging out with some of the other seminarians last night, and I asked them if they remembered Y2K, and James Finders looks at me and he says, don't make me answer that question. I was like, why? He said, I was three months old. Oh, yeah, <laughs> three right. Three weeks old or so. I can't remember. Right. Well, to um, all of you who are... Uh, born after the New Year's 2000, yeah. I have a great, great <laughs> joy to share with you that everybody thought the world was over. And the world didn't end. And it didn't end, <laughs> and nor did it before 2023. Here we are. <laughs> they thought, what, all the computer stuff was going to crash and people were going to go oh, yeah. insane oh, yeah. and run around the streets? Yeah, I have a friend who uh, he pulled the uh, the breaker in his house on New Year's oh, Eve 20, cruel. 20, or 2000 and Not cool. made everybody think it actually happened. Not cool. Came in laughing. He knows who he is. So if Except everybody listen. goes to confession. That's kind of a perk. <laughs> there you go. The, so, the fear of the end leads you to confession. So we've just had uh, Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everybody. We're still in the octave of Christmas. We are. Today is the, well, I don't know when you're listening to this. When we're recording this, it's the eighth day yeah. uh, of the octave. Perfect. Does that work? Yeah. I don't know. We've got the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, the Theotokos. Yes. Yeah, and this, uh, this week, I mean, it's full of feasts and celebrations uh, from Christmas until Epiphany. Um, I just learned that Catholic stuff you should know, you should know this, uh, we celebrate in the Liturgy of the Hours, um, like every night prayer, we pray Sunday night prayer uh, for the solemnity, because we're in the solemnity of the octave, but we have decreased the, um, uh, how do you call it, the, the ranking <laughs> of the solemnity falls below other feasts, so that we can celebrate Feast of Stephen, Feast of uh, the Holy Innocents, Feast of the Holy Family. Um, we have the Solemnity of the Mother of God, right? Um, so it's this weird Is kind it of level like, of solemnity. Is that weird, what we call it's it? It's this weird hybrid, and there's a list. Um, I think uh, Father, one of one of the companions just sent in our group chat for uh, how because there was a question about what they could do oh, for, right, weddings for weddings during right. uh, during this time, and there's kind of this gradation of solemnity that the church gives us. And so we've got a solemnity of the octave of Christmas, kind of like the solemnity of the octave of Easter, but the octave of Easter trumps everything. So there's no extra feast after Easter. Um, it is Easter day for the octave. Whereas here we have these other celebrations. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I find it very and confusing. I couldn't tell you why, <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, yeah. And it almost makes like a, a stronger association between the feasts themselves and the season. Yeah. Like, whereas other days are days that are set for feasts fall at different times during the year in terms of the liturgical mm-hmm. year, different seasons sometimes. And but December 25th, they're not always logically connected. <laughs> whereas Holy week. Family, Mother of yeah. God, these are all logically connected to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, what does the word solemnity mean? You keep saying solemnity, solemnity, solemnity. solemnity. Uh, we get from the same root that we get solemn, right? So uh, a solemn celebration is a solemnity. So these are the highest feasts of the church year. What does solemn look like? What does that mean? Uh, well, since it's connected to feast, m- usually colloquially we think of solemn as like sad, like kind of down and serious. dour or serious, uh, a solemn presentation. Um, but... I believe solemn is just the uh, emphasizing importance. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a degree of um, yeah importance seriousness. Like this is this is really important time, but that doesn't mean like sad seriousness. Yeah, I think there's a false connection between serious and sad. Sometimes. Well, it's the most profound. It's so it's the highest. And Catholics, when when we run into something profound, and we want to celebrate it with solemnity, it's usually. Uh, joy, color, more yeah. pomp. It's 
and a way to solemn is a way to point to something glorious. So it's to to direct our attention to the profound. To say how can we celebrate in such a way? How can we have a ceremony in such a way? How can we have our spirits in such a way that we can prioritize the most important things? Glory in in Hebrew is um, chabod, which chabod. means heavy. Oh, it means yes. heavy, but it doesn't mean heavy like, oh, this is hard. It means this is gravitas to it. Yeah. It's like important. It's very important. And so you have to celebrate it bigger. You know, when you celebrate a birthday party, you are directing the attention of everybody to the value of life and birth mm. and this person. So when we do solemnity, we try to, you have more songs or more decorations yeah. at the church. Um, you have, you might have, uh, well, the, the Mass itself and the liturgy has parts that may not be in other, er, mm-hmm. you know, other Masses like the Creed and the Gloria. And, um, yeah. yeah. So Another Hebrew connection. Solemnity. In the uh, Psalms, oftentimes you, you have these comparisons of the scale and the weight in the scale mm. either being weighed down because it's heavy, habod, uh, important, mm-hmm. and things that are insignificant, uh, unimportant, are light and scale rises because there's nothing there so like sin yeah. sin is actually it's there's no, it's nothingness it's nothing yeah so it feels but the, heavy but the importance yeah. the important things the solemn things the heavy things uh, that's what actually weighs the scale and you want the scale to be weighed down because that means you're getting you know, like true gold or you know packing the the flour uh without um measure packing down and and sift it out it's heavier it will be more yeah more value well cool that was a Sidetracked into solemnity. Yeah. <laughs> I love Sorry, it. Sorry, I take you down that Yeah, we're uh, many winding roads. Somebody sent me a meme. It was, uh, I don't know if you're into Myers-Briggs typology or whatever. I tried to um, do it on Villa. It's, it's kind of fun. I don't know. Some people have accused it of being like a, like a sanctioned astrology. I don't think it's like that. Oh, really? Um, I don't think. It's more of a, a, just when people think it's like, oh, I'm only this way, and that's why I do everything because of my type, you're probably going a little too far It's kind of like a fancier temperament um, thing. Yeah. It's, it's a like personality a personality index. Personality based. And it, it's more just how you interact and, and kind of process the world. So I think it's amusing. Um, Zach Mahalchek and I, another seminarian here, uh, found, just kind of got into it a little bit while we were down in Mexico, just looking and trying to type people and see why we might interact did, with Did it work? Do you think it's real? I think it's. I think. It oh, gives happy you, New Year, Zach! Oh, yeah. By the way, <laughs> I think. It, I think it gives you a good, um, uh, I guess, framework to just see how you might interact with somebody else who's of a different temperament. Because a big thing for me last year was realizing that uh, I will annoy some people and I will get along with other people perfectly, mm, yeah. and that's actually okay. And uh, people that annoy me, you know, I'm probably annoying them. So just forgive them and hopefully they forgive me. Yeah. Um, so I think just knowing how people might respond to your temperament is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and seeing there so you can sympathize. Yeah. Like, why yeah. are they just a bad person? No, they're different than I am. Exactly. And it's annoying, but it may not be <laughs> it's wrong. Like, I don't understand that. I don't think I ever will, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, You're different. So there was one that he sent me that was... Uh, Things your type will never say, and my ENFP was, uh, the thing I would never say is, I just had a great flash of inspiration, but I don't want to talk about it. Uh, the, I don't want to talk about it part is the part that anybody you will get the, the brilliant I get well I get the look. flash of inspiration and then I have to share it immediately sure so that's why like I think on the podcast you and I will, yeah hey yeah. this is a really cool thing to go down the line oh I see yeah and then but I there were I was recording with Father John a week or two ago. Um, our last one and i was just biting my tongue because there's so many like tangents i wanted ideas. to run on and i was like father john will kill me if i run on all of these so i'm just gonna stop are you <laughs> proud of this tendency or are you embarrassed by it or it doesn't matter it is oh i it love is. it i love it i just don't know if i mean i've got to have the right person to sit across from me and <laughs> yeah. you know go on the uh hour-long you know twist and turn adventure through the metaverse yeah. or something but well and it can make me self-conscious i do i think a lot of the same yeah. But and then you have, like, over the years, after the fact. my friends are less <laughs> interested in my brilliant ideas. Yeah. But but and oftentimes it's because I'll have projects mm-hmm. and then not follow through with them. Yeah. So they're kind of like, uh, we don't want to get our hopes up exactly. because you have this great idea for a f- fast food restaurant that's healthy and Nothing's it's never going to happen. About it. I did have a friend, JP. He told me once. He says, you know what? You have all of these ideas all the time. 
And one of these days, you'll actually follow through with one of them, and it'll be great. <laughs> Change the world. <laughs> uh, so. What about, so on Villa, we, the companions go on a little vacation together. We call Villa after Christmas. And uh, we went up to the mountains. We played hockey. We prayed together. We ate some nice meals that some of the guys cooked and played some board games, all kinds of just fun. And one of the conversations we got into late night was this thing about the, what did you call it, Myers? Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Myers-Briggs. And I'm always kind of like, oh, I roll my eyes at this thing. I don't really care. I don't really believe these things. I think there's too few categories that people are complex enough that if they fit into categories, there should be about a thousand. <laughs> Not you're this temperament or you're a four part. Um, but okay, I understand. I didn't understand the interest. It's just not my thing. But I let them do this thing for me. They, they had you test. And I'm curious to know their impressions of me. So um, I don't really care what they want to put letters to it. I just like hearing. Did how you have I, them how do take I come the off test to for you? I've always found that interesting. No, they were just kind of guessing, but they yeah. seemed to know the system pretty well. And then I took it on an app yeah, or a the, website. The 16 personalities or whatever. Yeah. And then when I finished it, it said, now you we want you to sign up for all this stuff. Yeah, that's what I was And so I couldn't do it. And you I didn't thought, even this, see is, what it was. this is very poetic and ironic <laughs> and i love it because even the the fine when i finally cave and take the personality index that i think is so dumb can't get it because you're not going to pay yep they <laughs> won't give it to me they won't give me the results that's the universe that's the universe didn't even give you like the overall one nope wow nope and it changed and i say i'm not signing up for a no, million things you shouldn't uh my mom what'd you okay well go on. my mom got the book the temperament God gave you, which is just the um, phlegmatic, choleric, sanguine, um, melancholic, right? Four kind of system. And I remember she had me do the test that was in the back of the book, and then told me what I was. And I was just like, "You can't put me in a box. No way. Yeah. I'm I'm whatever I want to be." <laughs> uh, and then I came back with like a what I thought was a brilliant theological argument of like. Types are stupid because we should all imitate Christ, and so oh, here he's, we go. He's going to be the best of all of them anyway. So why why are we sitting ourselves in a type box when we should all just be trying to be perfect like Christ? <laughs> and she's like, "That's exactly what your type would say." And I was uh, like, "You shut up." <laughs> well, I, I guess I disagree with you on both points. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this was uh, this was like twelve year old Jake. So I don't think I agree with. Well, him either, he's a but. wise man, <laughs> but like. Yeah, like I had said, I don't think we fit in a box. And fine, you can roll your eyes and say that's what your type would say. But you could mm-hmm. say that about anybody. Yeah. It's like these fortune cookies. You say, <laughs> oh, someone interesting will come into your life today. If you oh, find great. people interesting, of course that'll happen. Yeah, <laughs> right. And here's your numbers. So, <laughs> And then the other one is about the Jesus thing. And I, I think this can be a relevant um, observation. But I don't think Jesus was... Perfect in the sense that his, everything about his per- personality was hmm. awesome to everyone. Because I think you can, I don't think these things are like having a distinct personality is a moral kind of, I mean, it's not good or bad, right? Yeah. It doesn't fit into, it's, it's morally neutral. And, and then it's just real. It's a real part of humanity. And I don't even know what a person would be like if they had no personality. We we say that, and then, right. that, but that means the most boring person. They wouldn't be a person. Ever. I mean, personality is yeah. the personhood is showing up. Um, but that also means that you're going to annoy some people yeah. who are not like you. Uh, Jesus annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> That's true. But it seems, <laughs> I mean, in my head, it's like, well, yeah, but he was intentional about Romans, everything yeah. he did. Yeah. The, but yeah, there were probably parts about him that you probably wouldn't, yeah. Like, you know, I, and then like a majority, if a, if a person would be morally perfect and virtuous in every way, it could probably make up for a lot. Yeah. Well, I think what another tangent, uh, me and David Hall and Ryan Mack went on Companion Seminary in Villa. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask you about place. that. So Good. we were hanging out in Glenwood Springs with uh, some of the priests and families up in the valley that we know. And me and, well, all three of us got in a conversation, but I was mostly chatting with David about it. And um, when it came to personality, I said something to the effect of like, you know, I sometimes we get the sense of like, there's a kind of like a 
model, kind of a prototype model that as a Christian we have to look like and we have to mm. conform our life to be this way. And almost um, from this perspective, we kind of become really boring and one-dimensional and there's no place for personality or kind of creativity within the Christian life. It just seems like if I know enough and I just will myself to follow that system, I'll be a good Christian, I'll be virtuous. And I said that really frustrates me when I I get that sense either in myself or in others because I think there's a a beautiful um, creativity in the Christian life, in the life of virtue, where the saints look very different. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, all the saints look different because they're manifesting the infinite God. So you've got an infinite number of ways to glorify Him through your life, whereas evil kind of falls down under the same few manifestations of itself. Um, oppression, uh, abuse, um, deceit, you know, you've got kind of your... your Seven various sins, seven deadly yeah. sins, and they all kind of look the same with each. You know, think of any quote evil person in the world; they're kind of doing the same things. Um, whereas huh. the saints are like they're all holy and they're all faithful, but they're all creative, fresh, and, new. And so, the virtues are the common element of um, sanctity, right? So the mm-hmm. the you can look at a saint and you see all of the virtues lived in them uh, as kind of the the principle of unity between the saints. But when you look at how this saint lives fortitude and this saint over here lives fortitude, it might be totally different um, uh, as far as like all the externals around it. But there's the commonality to say, oh, he's he's in living in fortitude she's living in fortitude or justice or mercy or whatever it may be even though it can look so much different given the circumstances and especially the people yeah uniqueness and i think your personality interesting you've got like the philip neary who's like super playful and um he's he's got a seriousness to him below it all but he's joyful he's playful he's singing he's focused on kind of like preaching and creating the oratory and um leading the children right um and then you've got others who seem very serious and very kind of austere, solemn, as uh, we often consider, um, who maybe have this incredibly joyful kind of like ecstatic prayer life internally. Uh, and so you just kind of never know from the externals where people are at, and, and we won't know until uh, the shades of eternity are peeled back. But. Do you think that Jesus, where do you think he got his... Traits, personality traits. Okay, Ooh, so we inherit a lot of the these classic things. nature nurture. You can say like twelve-year-old Jake says, uh, "I make myself. I do. <laughs> I, I will. I. Uh, you can't put me in yeah. a box. You can. You hear also a lot can't of, make uh, me society of of postmodern uh, philosophy in twelve-year-old Jake. Oh yeah, twelve-year-old Jake has inherited an attitude. But in fact, we are somehow our our parents' children. Yeah, and. So we take our sense of humor and our mm-hmm. laugh and our mannerisms and yeah. our uh, physical features and mm-hmm. everything. We're, we're obviously unique, but do you think Jesus had to have taken everything from Mary? Or do you think he had the, the adult Jesus, you meet him at 30, mm-hmm. does he have Mary's eyes? And does he have her sense of humor and her smile and her... Um, kind of way of dealing with annoyances and or does it all does it come from a balance of mary and joseph i mean part of the question is where did he get his dna yeah but then the other part of the question is like how much of our whatever person is learned or learned yeah um i'm not super well versed on this so uh the psychologists and uh sociologists out there can write in but um genetically it's mary so you'd think hair color, um, yeah, Holy color, Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't have any uh, DNA. Height, uh, all those things. Would he look just like her? That would be weird. <laughs> I don't think he would look just like her because there's not there's, like a twin. Uh, there's dominant and recessive genes within yeah. each uh, spouse in a marriage sure. that you know uh, procreate a child. Um, so w- the the cool thing with that is he would have looked m- very much like Mary because he received his DNA from Mary, but Mary's DNA came down through her genealogy. And so Jesus has the kind of the genealogy traits of the line to Mary. Um, hmm. And so even in that, he's encompassing humanity. Um, Interesting. So 
that Bijoakim and Anne, you know, manifested in some fashion genetically in Jesus. But then personality-wise, um, you know, they, they've done a lot of twin studies and other things. So there's clear traits that seem to have genetic uh, elements and others that they can't trace genetically at all. Um, one of the really interesting things I was reading a couple months ago was about how we take on traits of our friends. And so mm. we take on speech patterns. You talked about laugh. Uh, we learn to laugh by other people laughing. Yeah. Um, I've, I've changed. I, I've noticed in, in college, I started saying um, wicked because I had a friend from Boston area. And I started saying y'all because I had a really good friend from Houston. Mm. And so I'm this like Colorado kid going around saying, y'all, that's wicked. Wicked, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there, there's no no sense of like why those things should be combined, but they're, I picked up on them because I spent a lot of time with these people. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of Joseph, St. Joseph in Jesus from probably the way that he you know played with Jesus and laughed and joked and taught him, uh, just as there would be with Mary as well. Long. That's a really long nah, answer. Ah, man, that's a good answer, and... It's interesting. I probably agree with you. I mean, it's always possible that God could have done. I mean, conceived of a virgin is a pretty big miracle already. Yeah. So if he wanted to give him extra DNA, DNA. from he can make out of nothing, <laughs> DNA from Joseph or whatever. I don't know. I just do yeah. think it's fascinating, though, and it's a way, it's a good meditation for people who are trying to understand the value of Mary as the mother of God. Because there's a lot of Christians, sadly, this is one of the great tragedies, I think, who resent Mary and the way that Christianity has treated Mary so well over the course of the millennia and the way that Catholics still celebrate Mary. Mm -hmm. And they say that, well, the only honor should be given to Jesus. And there isn't anybody perfect um, except Jesus and that she... We can't make her different than the rest of us, but there's misunderstandings there and that she's somehow different than the rest of us. We're all made to be free of sin, and it's actually not that far away. Mm. Um, And then to celebrate someone, to celebrate Mary is to celebrate Jesus. So the discussion we're having about where does he get his traits and his fun personality or interesting or solemn or um, that some of it can come from Mary is just honest and is a celebration somehow of the goodness of Mary and also how unique and cool Jesus was. Yeah. It's taking it seriously instead mm-hmm. of there was this magic thing that came out of the sky and then ministered <laughs> for three years, died and rose. It's like this guy had a you know reality about him and yeah. that a lot of that comes from your identity comes from your family. Yeah. I think uh, I like to think of, you know, Jesus taking his first steps, you know, um, Jesus, you'd think, oh, he's God. He'd be able to walk. Yeah. From he's like doing he's gymnast- a baby. gymnastics. <laughs> he just kind of like doing hovers flips. above the floor, you know, <laughs> and he's, my, there's actually, uh, I can't remember the, the cartoonist. Um, he does these Catholic cartoons and there's, uh, Jesus, it, Mary's trying to get Jesus to take a bath and he's just sitting there on top of the water in the bathtub. <laughs> he's like, you got to go in to get clean. Just, <laughs> just dunk it. <laughs> um, That's pretty good. But uh, I think seeing, just meditating on like Jesus humbled himself to become man, to be born, to be a baby, to need to be fed, to learn to walk, to learn to speak. Um, Jesus as man. Right, uh, and there's something I think really profound, beautiful, simple, um, manifest love uh, in a way that if Jesus had just kind of come in in all glory, um, she could have chosen to do, I guess. But He said, "I want to come in and live your life uh, to to redeem all things." Um, and there's just something kind of, even if it's just kind of like uh, a bit sappy or emotional, but to think of like. Mary teaching Jesus to walk. No, right? I you love know? it, man. Um, or to speak, or to and and sometimes we get into the the idea of God is the eternal Creator of all things who cannot change, uh, and so to talk about Jesus changing at all or having any sort of imperfection, not being able to talk or walk or you know, um, 
probably, you know, kids can't say certain syllables because the, the mouth hasn't formed perfectly yet, right? Yeah. So um, it's hard for kids to say certain words. And, like, imagine Jesus at two years old, three years old, learning to talk. He's, he's got a speech impediment? It, um, I don't know if he's got an impediment, but any kid, you know, sure. can't say certain things. Learning. Right? <laughs> R's and L's and S's and T's, whatever. They're, they're hard for kids. So, but isn't that an imperfection in God? then right. if, if Jesus is God. And so I think, well, Jesus took on our humanity. Sure. Uh, and, and there's a naturalness to how we grow that is a, um, it's an imperfection because it hasn't been perfected yet, but it's not an imperfection because uh, it was taken away. It's an imperfection because you're moving towards, you're growing towards. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what does it say? Um, he went home with them to Nazareth and he grew in wisdom, wisdom and stature or stature. knowledge. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But, we should probably um, know that for this conversation. You can't know everything. Yeah. What about, uh, do you think he slept for eight hours? I hope so. <laughs> no, right? Because I try and sleep eight, sometimes nine on breaks. <laughs> I just wonder. He would be so fascinating to do study of because yeah. it's like here's actually what we, the, yeah, the, the highest human potential even though yeah. I don't know, like what if the highest part of the highest human potential is to have a huge body like the rock? <laughs> I don't know if Jesus had a huge body like the yeah. rock. He doesn't on the crucifixes. Right. But uh, you can't. Yeah. Perfect. It means perfect insofar as his real life. Well, was, and telos, right? uh, per- perfection, perfect, be f- uh, perfect as Heavenly Father is to be, it, I think it's teloi in yeah. Greek, which is from the same word telos, which we get the end, the word end. So perfection is to reach the end, uh, to be fully who you are made to be. And so you have a different body than the rock. You're not supposed to yeah, look sadly. like him. <laughs> That's not your end, right? Um, so perfection in that sense isn't, uh, isn't just a kind of unified point at the top of a pyramid. Yeah. Um, and if we're all made for, ultimately we're made for love of God and love of neighbor, then the fullness of who you are, your perfection is you perfectly love God and neighbor. Yeah. Man, no. yeah not, so, not the accidentals of height and exactly, skin color and yeah. hair color and muscle mass. Yeah, the <laughs> accidental that I have dumb curly hair right now. <laughs> um, well, do you want to talk about Pope Benedict dying? Sure. Yeah, as you we can tell, do that too, uh, this because is, he's, he's just recently. This died. is the New Year's variety show with uh, Father Mike and Jacob. Um, we don't Welcome. really have a topic, uh, but it's, it's Jacob's Mama's actually juggling right now too. <laughs> it's uh, Mama's feast day, uh, and so we talked about her. And now another big thing that happened. Actually, I think the day this is released will be Pope Benedict's uh, funeral. Oh, is that right? On what day? January fifth. Okay. So I believe that's uh, what I read when that's going to happen. So you this coming uh, Thursday. Yeah, I, that's another one. We talked about Y two K and the young, the youngins, <laughs> the youths yeah. didn't remember that. Um, you know, there's there's a number of people that don't have a lot of memories of Pope Benedict because he's been emeritus pope for ten years now. Yeah, he was uh, elected when I was in seminary. Yeah, it was thirteen, I believe, right? It was thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Or is it twelve? No, it's before that. It's before, was it's it before was that? It, it must be eight or something, or maybe huh. ten. Because I was in seminary, and then I was ordained oh, in twenty ten. Uh, when, when he was when he was elected. Yeah. Yes, uh, Pope Benedict. He was elected. I was in high school. Would have been sophomore year, so two thousand six or seven. That's better. Two thousand six. That sounds right. I was talking about when he um, left. Uh, yeah, resigned and became Pope Emeritus. That's right. That's and that was twenty twelve or thirteen. Yeah, probably I think that thirteen. Because I did my first Christmas Mass in Rome with Pope Benedict, and I can celebrate it, and it was just glorious. I don't know if I've told that story. That's amazing. Please tell the story. Well, this is more like less about Pope Benedict as it is about me, but <laughs> and God. But I was feeling very lonely when I first went to Rome, and. I left all my friends and family back home and I had been serving out in the corner of Colorado, but never really intended on living abroad or working abroad, whatever. And so come Christmas time, this is, you know, that's that special time of the year and you can feel things more strongly. And so I was feeling loneliness more strongly and wondering, and at the time I was also flailing. It was 
very hard for me to get into the classes like learning mm. in Italian and I just felt like I didn't understand a lot of what I'm doing and I'm not good at this and I'm the wrong guy for this task and so I'm just like it was a hard semester and I'm at the end of that hard semester and I'm looking at praying this Christmas mass and I'm like am I the least happy I've ever been in my life am I the most lonely this is awful and I don't know what I'm doing and um then at the mass, I was um, celebrating. So I was just below the altar. I was real close to the Pope. That was real special. But the best part was I was given the Blessed Sacrament to distribute communion. And then you're sort of escorted out into the crowd. And this guy took me to the back and opened the door and, and pointed me out toward the um, piazza, like the plaza mm-hmm. in front of St. Peter's. Well, at midnight mass... There's a full church, as you could imagine, but and also a full, full plaza. plaza, and it's dark, and there's screens, and the music is kind of playing. And I, but I go down the steps, like totally empty steps hmm. of St. Peter's for, it's a long promenade before you hit the plaza, and I'm carrying the Blessed Sacrament out to the crowd, and I saw this, I just had this grace of seeing myself carrying the baby Jesus out to give it to the world. And I said, oh, this is why, I mean, I was very emotional and realized this is, this is what I've always wanted. This is what it means to be a priest. All that other, like failing at the study stuff is good because I'm answering the call to obedience, but this is what priesthood is. And I do love it. I'm not in the wrong place. I'm, whenever I'm offering Jesus to people in whatever form that looks like, then that's what I came here to do and um, is my great joy and pleasure. And so it was profound. It was a profound comfort from God saying, you're never in the, you're never in the wrong place yeah. you know, and I'll be with you. And I've made you for great things. Even if they're as simple as carrying out this little baby Jesus yeah. and <laughs> distributing him to the <laughs> crowd. As you said that, I thought of uh, Father Mike being a Theotokos, a God bearer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with in a man, United to Mary there too. Yeah. Bringing Jesus to the world. And it was ironic because I was so close to the, like the heart of the church Mm -hmm. and still feeling like alienated from my own priesthood and self and everything. But it's like I said, that's not a whole lot about Pope Benedict, except I enjoyed being there. And then I enjoyed um, that around those Christmas times, there were stories about, there was this one lady in the funny sweater. She was (laughs) (laughs) like a Christmas sweater and she got by and jumped up on the Pope mobile to hug Pope Benedict at his Christmas mass. And of course, you're not allowed to do that. There's thousands of people there. You never know who, who it is. So the security was very embarrassed. How'd you let the sweater lady in? <laughs> so they made a big point where never, that's never going to happen again and everything. Next Christmas? Same sweater lady. Same sweater lady. (laughs) (laughs) They got through like the greatest security team in the world to hug Pope Benedict for Christmas. So love can't stop anything, I guess. That's right, sweater lady. (laughs) Um, So I looked it up while you were telling your story. I've got the dates. This is for election and resignation. Pope Benedict was uh, elected and raised to the papacy in 2005 and then uh, resigned in 2013. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. So, And then I love Pope Benedict, especially because I'm an intellectual and he is the most brilliant Catholic and Christian mind in mm. our time, in my time. And he's written beautiful things that I've learned a lot from and um, just been motivated as a professor and um, yeah, just a curious mind to imitate his, his personality, I guess, is pedagogical his teaching personality and his interest in especially synthesizing pieces that can be disparate in our understanding of the world and theology yeah i was uh like i said 2005 i would have been a freshman in high school actually and uh so i remember being at matchbuff high school and the we got word that the uh white smoke was uh coming out of the chimney and the white smoke oh, is right, what yeah. uh, signifies the election of the new Pope uh, coming out of the chimney from uh, they're in St. Uh, not uh, St. Peter's they're in um, yeah, Sistine Chapel. Sistine Chapel. That's it. And uh, 
we turned on all the TVs. We had like the central TV system and uh, turned on all the TVs to EWTN to watch the announcement of the new Pope and the new Pope coming out to the balcony to greet the world. Um, so that was cool to be able to remember you know, that, that point. Um, I was talking, I think it was Father Trevor. Because one of the guys said uh, it's, it's a shock. It's, maybe it was David Hall, but either way, um, we've only had now two popes die in our lifetime. Yeah, um, you would expect more, right? And just from the history of, of the church, you'd think more. And to think that, you know, at, in our 30s, there's only to have had two popes die in our lifetime is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, John Paul served a very long yeah, papacy. One of the longest. And then Ratzinger was one of his appointees to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, Cardinal Ratzinger. And so he, he was in charge of Catholic teaching and the distribution of Catholic teaching. See, Catholics, we don't teach anything new. We just teach <laughs> more of it. Yes. So it's not like you can have a brilliant mind who comes up with something new. Teaching is taking the reality and then translating it for people, making it easy to understand and something that people now know. So he's in charge of the doc- congregation of the Doctrine of Faith. And then when Pope John Paul II died, um, Ratzinger at the time, Cardinal Ratzinger, he preached the Pope's funeral. And I think yes. at that moment kind of ingratiated himself to the <laughs> bishop, the Cardinal College so that you could see someone and say, wow, I'm really motivated. And that was a beautiful homily. And he, he has a good grasp of the truth and the value of someone's life and then what the world needs right now. And Do you think that's quite a bit of why he would have been yeah. elected? I mean, he was a respected figure all around mm-hmm. as an intellectual and eventually, you know, you got to kind of wonder how it works in Providence, but the papacy was the wrong job for him, or he was only meant to serve for a few years and then make this bold thing of resigning from something that no yes. one had resigned from. For 800 years, 600 yeah, years? Yeah, for the sake of the church, yeah. thinking that it's for the best, making a good choice for your own health and holiness. Um, but I think primarily for the, for the, the church. church and for Christ. The glory of God, the way he saw it. Um, I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm pulling up Google Maps. I was looking for St. Peterskirk in Marienplatz, Munich, uh, mm-hmm. which I believe was one of the parishes where he served. I can't oh, remember is if it? it was when okay. he was bishop or if he was just a pastor or rector there. Um, but I know that when we were there, they told us then Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger, had uh, had served here, had celebrated, As a cardinal. had served, celebrated many masses here or something like that. And then there was a, a beer hall, like right across from the church, um, that, again, probably it, all like kind of sort of made up hyperbolized stories, but that was supposedly his favorite beer in Munich. Oh, uh, because it was, I wonder what it is. Probably Augustina? Made up. Uh, it wasn't Augustina, because that one was a little bit farther away. But I um, like Andex. I haven't been to Andex. Andex was a different... Spot. There's Augustiner well. and Hofbrau and a couple others. We went to in Munich, but uh, Franciscaner too. There's so, there's a Franciscaner. Of course, we had to go have one of Benedict's favorite beers, whether it was or not. What did you? Right what do you think he drank? Doppelbock. Oh, he probably had all the German Pilsner. He had the Weissbier, the Dunkel, the uh, and pretzels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting place and um, time that he came from. Um, they make a big deal about how in his youth the young people were conscripted into these clubs for the German army for the National Socialist Party and that he, like other kids, was um, forced into this thing. And he's kind of canceled, hated for some of that now, but it wasn't like a kid is going to make their decision. But um, he, so he grew up during the wartime, World War yeah. Two, and saw the horrors of the Nazi regime and this, you know, your neighbors being taken away or the whole society being intimidated, conscripted, um, the, just the reality of evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think part of his wisdom comes from that, that he's not naive to the fact that the world has fallen and broken and that we need Jesus. We need God among us to help us. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that I found um, profoundly comforting just reading and hearing from uh, Ratzinger and then Benedict uh, as Pope was even when he um, had written something or presented something, uh, he was always still pondering and going deeper Mm. with the same things. And so I was just reading um, the introduction to his, I think the second printing of the introduction uh, to Christianity that he had written. An awesome, awesome, Um, awesome book. If you've never read it, that's one that you should read before you Catholic go. Challenging misnomer, uh, not necessarily an introduction, (laughs) definitely uh, serious theology. Um, But I was just struck by, he had written this book, Introduction to Christianity, uh, and in the second or third edition, I can't remember which one this was, he writes a new introduction, uh, and he's addressing it with kind of hindsight of the last 10 or 15 years, and um, he calls out a couple substantial moments. I think it was 68 or 69, and then 89, and he said the late 60s, you had society that rejected uh, the projects of modernity, rejected uh, Christianity, said we need to radically transform society because everything up to this point has failed. And so everything got thrown out. Uh, and you had predominantly Marxist kind of socialist rhetoric that was making a moral promise to a just, fair, egalitarian society for all. And so that was the revolution of 69. But then we've been living under the Soviet controlled Europe for the last, at that point, uh, 20 years. Because in 89, you start to have um, much due to John Paul II, um, chinks in the armor. uh, Fall of the wall or the crumbling of the wall. The kind of the national revival of the Polish people uh, kind of started to break down the communist uh, iron curtain. And so then in 89, you have this um, transformative moment in the world. And what Bendix reflecting on is the church missed its opportunity um, to really become a voice for the world coming out of that period of darkness. Um, the church, everything that Vatican II wanted uh, was to show the church in the world, to lead the world, to be a, a leading voice, to, to show the truth. Um, and he said, and we didn't really step up to say, we, we have Jesus Christ, we have the truth, we have from Revelation for 2,000 years, or almost 2,000 years, um, that we need to be proclaiming this, uh, not apologizing for it type of thing. Um, so I 89... I, like, I'd have to read into that. Yeah. That sounds very pessimistic to me. And yeah. Well, he yeah, self-critical in a way that might not be fair. It maybe it won't be fair. Uh, like, but he said we we definitely did not become the voice that we had intended or hoped to be in the world at that point. And so now, um, he said, because we didn't speak, uh, because we didn't remember uh, the atrocities that happened under communism, um, kind of out of I think he's called it a shame. Um, we've kind of let those ideas just permeate under the surface and the inherent atheism of them is what he was had the issue with. Uh, the inherent atheism and the materialistic worldview and that we have to save the world. Um, there is no savior. Um, there yeah, is no God. I see that. That's what he's talking kind about. Of faithless and, thing. and we didn't come in as a church and win the hearts. What, is, what do you expect now? But I, I don't know. I don't know how right we now, but what do you that. expect about, um, we should have st- we should have stopped communism or World no War no II he wasn't saying that we should have stopped we have that. the power but to do he that? was saying it specifically at eighty nine when the world we had had the revolutions and here seems to be a new epoch beginning with the fall of communism and what perpetuated after was kind of a global um, a global capitalism with an underlying kind of uh, materialistic atheism. Um, for the whole world or for the the predominantly communist bloc end up for the whole world because this is also Mm -hmm. when we're approaching globalism is just ramping up Um, well i'll say this i don't know quite about that critique but i would say that i think he's a positive voice in that faithful direction like okay so in my biblical 
milieu, the his his strongest comment to the biblical world was, at least the academic biblical world, was that we can't operate on a hermeneutic of skepticism uh, yeah. and doubt, but of a hermeneutic of faith. Now, ever since he said that, everybody talks about it, but what does that mean? <laughs> Nobody could define it for you. I, that's the funny thing about this. It's yeah. like everybody's, oh, yeah, down with the old school biblical studies. <laughs> we need a hermeneutic of faith. And they can't even describe like what <laughs> what exactly that looks like in a problematic way or how it would um, play out in something of an ideal. However, he did happen to write biographies of Jesus or a life of Jesus, kind of like they used to do a long time ago, 100 years ago, in these uh, Jesus of Nazareth books, mm-hmm. uh, proposing ways of looking at Jesus and his story in a, with a hermeneutic of faith and kind of integrating this part is is a lot clearer to me is integrating theology and um, classic historical studies and uh, linguistic studies so he's bringing together two genres that had kind of drifted in theology and exegesis so that's all very technical but (laughs) basically what it is is the question of the hermeneutic of faith hermeneutic means interpretation or perspective especially perspective are you wearing glasses that say um that everything really does come down to human agency and our own creativity and our own power and our own organization and we make the world a better place I make my life healthy or not. I can, um, I don't know. I'm the one who's to blame for everything wrong around me, and I'm the one to be praised for everything that's right around me. Mm-hmm. It's basically saying, well, God is not real. God is not really alive, but it's a nice thing for us to talk about and yeah. helps us to feel better about ourselves and to to live our best life mm-hmm. and for the world to get along is one. And so the idea of God is very beautiful and we should promote it. But the actual idea that something can happen in my life that I didn't make happen and the circumstances of life didn't make happen. It had to have been God alive and God with his grace doing a miracle of grace. And Mm -hmm. he says, well, this is happening all the time. And we say that, but do we really really let that perspective lead our way of talking about thinking about jesus um, studying jesus Mm -hmm. all of these things so that's his hermeneutic of faith and i can see that really at the heart of his project like the way he's looking at the world is we have lost faith in god yeah we haven't necessarily lost god like the communists tried to they tried to get rid of even the concept of god or Mm -hmm. the for the kids not know what a god even though just get rid of the word and then it won't be a reality. And that failed, but you're right. There, there is this kind of suspicion in us that has been kind of winning the day. And he's saying yeah. Christians rely on faith. We I, start with God is alive and at work in the world. I like how you tie that into um, how we, I guess, create our own uh, sense of, on one side, importance. On the other side, like we put too much um, pressure almost on ourselves to yeah. to create everything um because without god if we are the creative force in the universe whatever's built is us building it and that's something that i personally have picked up or picked up from society from school from friends from movies from everything um, it's just one of those ideas that's so deeply rooted in kind of our human um self-understanding at this point in history that I am the one who creates my life. Um, I, it's self-creation. It's I, I'm going to be a entrepreneur. I'm going to be a influencer. I'm going to be a celebrity. I'm going to be a, you know, humble worker, whatever it is. It's like, I am choosing to be this and I will, I'm going to be a saint. I will create uh, my way. And even into the, the place of saint saintliness, it's now my project which I think is totally contrary to the perspective of gift and faith, that our life is primarily a gift first received, and then the unfolding of our life, which we are active players in. We, you know, If we weren't active with freedom, we don't have sin, but we don't have love. 
Um, so we are active players, right? But in actively receiving the gift of God, um, that I'm a, a co-worker and a co-creator, not a primary creator of my life. But I really am helping to create who I am, to, to create my sanctity, but it's not just my project. Like God yeah. is working with his grace, those miracles of grace uh, every day transforming us. And we're, as a, as a group, as Christians, part of our call is, because there, there was a time there where I think maybe this is part of what you're describing, is that there, there's, always, there's kind of a balance between emphasizing our own work and the work of God, you know, alive in the world and, and everything. And there was this, there's a strong rallying cry, pep talk, about how we need, we need to make the world a better place. And so we should organize for social action and help, you know, support the, the war efforts in the right places and develop the UN and all of these ways that the Christian community can work toward making the world a better place. And then it can, though, be at the expense of recognizing that God is at work and God can do what we can't do and we can't fix everything. And we in some cases don't need to you got to ask the what's the will of god and and so the other side of the coin and i think the pendulum has swung the other way to the point where it's kind of negative frankly yeah where i don't see all the young people wondering how can i help the poor and how can i reform things and make them better and you know having causes and stuff like that but anyway the uh the flip side of that is that the Christian, what what can we do if God is at work and we can't really do the kinds of things that God has to and does, is that we can keep our eyes open and then we can celebrate when God has done something great. So when you see a miracle of grace in a friend's life or in the church or in the world, then you can point out to people, that was God. Yeah. There was God. And then we can help ourselves in each other and then the world to start to see God at work and mm-hmm. God to see God alive. That's the perspective of faith. Yeah. Those are those other glasses. Which I think which I think Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, uh, same person, um, was saying everything. I kind of had maybe the more negative lens yeah, that with we're the critique, looking at it. Yeah, yeah. But I that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where he where he had begun. But then what he's saying and what he's saying with the entire introduction of Christianity is he's Reproclaiming the gospel message, the good news, what, how we can see the world in light of grace, in light of what is God has done. Um, he's he's trying to form our minds to be able to perceive those miracles of grace, and he talks about um, even a, a possible meeting point between the person of faith and the person that has no faith. Uh, at the beginning of the, uh, the mm. book, he talks about a possible meeting point is where the Christian sits there looking out in the universe, having proclaimed, professed that God has created all um, and has everything in his hands. But he has that maybe seed of doubt that questions, what if not? Mm. But then the atheist looks out into the universe and he professes that everything is chaos and random order that has brought us to this point in history in the universe and he looks out and he sees the beauty of the universe and the order of it and thinks well what if yeah he says this this point is this human experience of kind of recognizing our inadequacy to know with complete certainty by our own power Uh, and that's where we can actually maybe have a dialogue with somebody who's so rooted in uh, an atheistic perspective uh, and then say from here, where do we go? And then we have Revelation. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, we have, you know, the great saints of the church. We have the scriptures. We have all these things that can point us and help us to to see grace happening everywhere. Um, so I think that's what Pope Benedict, um, you know, being a, a strong theological mind, it was always at this sense of moving towards conversion, having new eyes to see the world uh, in light of faith and grace. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a project. Um, yeah. It wasn't something he was building. He was, all his work was to point to Christ working 
in the world. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the, the patrimony that we receive from his theology. And I think his interest in liturgy, everybody knows that Hugh is very interested in liturgy, and he had his very particular tastes, and they've had their effects, and I think for good, for the most part, in the church. And um, But that comes out of that same thing, is like he sees grace and beauty in a profound way where God is at work, and there's no greater place that God is at work than in the Mass, the source and summit of all the grace in Christian life. So I think in his in his work leading up to the papacy, he spent a lot of time on writing books and teaching. And then when he was in the, in the position of the Pope, he did write a couple of things, and um, but not as much, but saw some of his priority as being pointing to the sacraments. Yep. Which is pretty cool. You know, every pope's going to bring their, their qualities. Okay, so old Lang Syne. <laughs> old Lang Syne. Let's drink a cup of kindness, dear, for old Lang Syne. We needed you at the symphony so yesterday. So you, you have to, at the symphony, yeah, you got they, to the symphony. Well, I got to the symphony. They've got their, their New Year's Eve show that they play oh, every cool. year. And this year they said, and we've got, we've got, going to end with the American tradition of singing old Lang Syne. So <laughs> if you know it, please sing along. And there was like, one guy who kind of knew it and was trying, and then everybody else is dead silent. Isn't it so, Scottish? I think it's a Scottish thing. But, but so yeah. Anyway, send it, they just the ended up playing it. Nobody sang along. We could have used you. I, well, I don't, even, I don't think anybody knows what it really means. <laughs> but it is about these you know, two friends that are reminiscing on old times. Yes. And celebrating the kindness that comes from that. And then looking at all the happy memories, and you look forward to more kindness because that's what you can expect from life okay give me two graces from this year you say that you can see grace that we can see grace happening yeah uh honestly the biggest grace of this year was just internal um kind of an internal quietude that allowed me to approach ordination with a lot more tranquility uh than i had faced most of seminary with um kind of uh an acceptance that moves to a happiness and a joy towards entering into um, what I've been invited into, receiving the gift that I've been invited into, rather than fighting it. So that was a huge grace. Um, it wasn't my working, wasn't my uh, meeting with my formators or spiritual director. Um, all those things helped through time, uh, I'm sure, to be avenues for it. But It wasn't... Uh, doing a podcast with Father Mike wasn't and doing Catholic anything, stuff. Yeah. You should know. I mean, oh. it parallels. So there you go. <laughs> it's a um, grace, not that, not the biggest. That that grace just was was very helpful. Yeah, and, and, it's beautiful. Um, so I think that's the most transformative internal grace that I can just say is is a gift um, because it just happened. Um, I don't know exactly when. It was a bit of a maybe a, a wave. Um, so that was a huge grace, and then um, I don't know. Uh, I think. I think the grace of entering into life with the companions, uh, kind of entering into more um, more friendships, uh, deeper friendships, being able to live at the companion's house with you and Father Jason and Father Joseph for the summer, uh, definitely got to develop more um, friendship. Friendship is developed over mm-hmm. time, shared, um, doing the podcast with you guys, um, and then just kind of a, a full year of doing... Uh, Lord's Days and association gatherings, um, just really resting in, in the joy of uh, the brotherhood. And then um, having lunch with you guys and the Archbishop, um, you know, uh, two months before ordination, but feeling like you're welcome, you're desired here, you're part of the team, <laughs> um, that, you know, we're really, really feeling kind of at home with the companions has been a grace. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And shout out Archbishop. Thank you for hosting us for lunch. It was really fun to, to be with the bishop and to hear his words of support and to just, yeah, share some of our life with him and yeah. our joys and struggles. And, you know, well, your bishop is your kind of your spiritual father as a priest. So um, it was, yeah, thanks for that, Archbishop. Well, that's you, cool. I've got two graces now. Two graces. One, I would say, is that uh, my sister got engaged and my... Uh, two, uh, my niece and my nephew were born and baptized. And I know that that sounds kind of like a human blessing, a human joy. But I think the grace behind it is that it's just been an answer to prayers. That mm. uh, I know that there's been a lot of people who want, 
you know, want my sister to have a family and to my other sister wants blessings for health for the babies and all this during a scary time. Um, my sister, Marsh, she's engaged now and it had been kind of a long and winding road and she had had some health problems and stuff in her life that was going to make that difficult. So I, it's it's just a joy to see God work those things out. You always say, you know, somebody comes and tells me in the in the confessional or outside father, I I don't know what to do. I just I think God wants to be married, but I've never met this person and I just don't see it happening or whatever. And a lot of times it's like, all right, be patient. Be patient. Even most of the time they're young and you can just say be mm-hmm. patient. You're young, it's going to happen, but it'll be the right person for you. And there's whatever it is, it's in God's hands and providence. So to see those things confirmed with, uh, you know, the fulfillment of those promises and the answer to the prayers is, um, yeah, has been a joy. And then I don't know, one thing I had, I've been reminiscing a little bit, and one thing that I saw was that there was a realization at one point last year, the year before, whatever, um, long enough ago, that I wish I was a better friend. I don't know how to be a good friend. Um, I guess I am probably a good friend, but I wanted to be a better friend. And I think I'm just like kind of thoughtless and not thinking about my friends. But I got to a point of real loneliness where I said, do I? I realized I don't do a whole lot of reaching out. Hmm. And then I started trying and I realized, oh, I'm not good at this. (laughs) I would rather spend time alone if I'm in a bad mood, but I want to rest. I don't, so I don't like make appointments in my calendar. And then I am also just very forgetful that I want to do this and I'm kind of a workaholic. So there's all these points of my life that were out of order when I'm trying to reach this end of being a friend and having friends that I can really enjoy. Um, and that's such an important part of life. So I started trying to get everything in order and I just don't know how after 38 years of <laughs> operating the same ways. So somehow throughout this year, I can look back and see there was a lot more intentional friendship and like that just happened a lot. And I don't think it was just me figuring out how to do that because I had failed in on those attempts for the most part. And so I think that was a gift given to me by God. If grace is a gift, then uh, I'm really grateful for that um, that particular gift that there was a lot of friends that I spent time with this year. And I was very aware that they were my friends and they were giving of themselves out of just love for me and generosity. So yeah, yeah, God can provide. Love it. So we're looking back, we're looking forward, looking forward to a good year, a new year. Um, And I guess my just word of encouragement to any, any listener out there is uh, moving forward. I, you're doing, you might be doing resolutions, you might not, um, but just be merciful with you as you are with other people around mm. you. Um, if you uh, if you start a resolution and you slip up in a week, don't let that break your back. Uh, just kind of strive for virtue, uh, strive for holiness, and um, we trust that God's working. His grace is ever-present and ever-working, and your, your sharing of um, kind of that grace of friendship, my sharing of kind of the grace of stilling the restlessness and kind of the stability in, in heart. Um, these are graces that have come over time uh, that weren't like a lightning bolt. Um, and so I think, yeah, as we look towards the future, towards the end, the uncertainties, um, just take heart in God's ever-present grace that is there. Mm-hmm. And I'd say keep your eyes open. Yeah, God's going to do great miracles for you this year. Look for it. And he loves you lots, and um, so does Our Lady. So ask for her intercession. Grow close to her. She's fantastic, and she'll work miracles. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, well, I guess, no, shout-outs first, right? You got any? Go ahead. I've got uh, just one. We're up in uh, the Glenwood Springs area, Snowmass, and our friends Lita and Adash, uh, two of the coolest people you'll meet. Um, hosted cool us names, for dinner. Too. Yeah, Lita is... She's a rock climbing, scuba diving chef, and uh, she cooked some delicious dinner for us. And then Adash, uh, just one of the chillest, most friendly guys from uh, New Zealand. Um, and there are a couple out there in, uh, in the valley that I got to know a couple summers ago, and uh, it was great to see them um, and uh, have dinner with them. So, 
Okay, I got one. Knowing that we just got off a villa, we spent some time with the Bruskern family, and they are fantastic. They were so fun and so nice to us, Bo and Amy, and then their kids. We played hockey. We played chess. I got schooled in chess by all the kids, Canty and Lily and Eve. I call her Ava. She hates it. (laughs) And Ella and Jack. It was so fun, and uh, I'm very grateful that they were so kind to us. Amy Bruskern is the sister of Dr. Susan Selmeray. And one of the reasons that I was thinking about Jesus' personality coming from Mary was that I didn't know that. And then I said, you are so similar to somebody I know. <laughs> and then when I realized it and I asked around, Dr. sure Selmeray. enough, I could see your sister. You know. All right. it's great. Blessings, everybody. Yeah. You have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and Happy New happy Year. Happy New Year. Happy Epiphany. Uh, pray for us. Pray for, we'll pray for you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, on pray our, for uh, um, Jacob and his upcoming ordination. February 18th. You were approved. It was I, communicated yes, to I you. I am writing a letter to the Archbishop, the final letter. Okay, uh, so you're not approved until well, he says, thank you for your letter. He sent the letter that said, write the letter. Yeah. So I can so approve that's you. Pr- pretty well so, the official. Uh, Unless you do something too stupid. Yeah, there's still some time. So February 18th, pray for me. Uh, The other guys in my class, exciting time. Thanks for joining us on this meandering January 1st uh, variety show. Theotokos, (laughs) Benedict XVI. Good. Thanks for for the chat, Father Mike, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Ciao.